Brooklyn. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show hosted by me, Asha Saluja, about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We'll start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce today's very special guest. Today's guest is a friend of a bestie, and this bestie is someone that I trust, like, with any decision I have to make ever. Shout out Ashley. She is, like, on the tail end of a beautiful trip to Hawaii right now, living her best life. Anyway, Ashley recommended this person as a guest for my show, and I was like, anyone you recommend is automatically in, so I can't wait to talk to this person. Uh, Tara is a full-time educator and also a social media strategist. On the side, everybody on the show has got a side hustle or two. Tara, is there anything else you'd like to say to introduce yourself? No, that all sounds, that sounds good. <laughs> got it covered. Okay, so... The first question on this show, and maybe even the hardest one to answer, it's kind of abstract, is tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. All right. Um, So I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, That is my mom's hometown. That's where she grew up. And my dad moved there in his late 20s or so. Um, And so for my family, particularly my parents, um, they put a lot into my growth and into for me to thrive. Um, my dad, um, was the second of six kids. Um, his father died when he was uh, very young. And so my grandmother had to raise them by herself in rural Arkansas. Um, so he's been working since, well, he's retired recently, but he's been working since he was six years old. Um, and my mom was the oldest of her siblings. 
Um, and she had to drop out of college at one point to help with the family. And so they very much wanted me to have the best of the best. Um, and they wanted me to go to college. Their big thing was like, you need to go to college. Um, you need to continue growing. Um, and so they've always kind of pushed me to be that sort of person. That's amazing. So you were born into basically a family that valued education because at times they had to focus on things that weren't that. Right, exactly. And you are obviously big time paying that forward. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any point when you were little where you were like, no, I'm not that into that. I don't want to go to college. No, I've always wanted to go to college. Um, but me being education, that was never a thing until I got older. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were little? So when I was seven, um, we had to do like the whole, what do you want to be when you grow up project at school? And so I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I would write my own books and scripts and then I would direct the movies to the scripts that I wrote. That was my plan when I was seven. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Did you get to, did you write any little things when you were little? Oh, yeah. So I wrote my first play when I was seven. And then I would write all these scripts, particularly about like TV shows that I like, because I thought that it would be easy for me to get on those TV shows and start my own. I was like, I'll start there and then, you know, start my own thing. I had a plan. Uh, so I would write scripts and little stories and things like that when I was younger. Yeah. Um, at what point? Well, I want to know at what point that started to change, but I'm also curious, do you feel like you were molded in any way by your hometown? Definitely. Um, molded in a sense. So St. Louis is like, um, I always say it's like a big little town, right? It's a city, but everybody knows everybody. It's like a one degree, two degree separation. And so I think that influenced how I communicate with people and how um, you know, I connect with people. Um, and so I think it's affected me in that way. Since moving to New York, I think it's affected me because I can understand what middle America is about. But I have friends who've never been to the Midwest and to the South. And so when we're talking about different things going on in the news, I'm like, oh, this is very much connected to middle America. This is where I grew up. For my other friends, they're a little bit like, I don't understand what's happening right now. Yeah. So it's been interesting to have those kind of conversations um, with people. Got it. Uh, yeah, I feel like any of my friends from smaller cities are are kind of just better at being friends. Like they're you're, they're more accustomed to communities where people are doing things for each other. Um, I'm from Miami, and no one does anything nice for each other there. Um, okay, so. What did you want to be by the time that you decided to go to college? Were, did, were you still thinking you wanted to write? Not Well, yes and no. So at that point, so in the eighth grade, um, people started being like, oh, you like computers. Why don't you think about computer science? And I was super into video games and computer animation. You're a little nerd. Yeah, I was a little nerd. I'm still a nerd. Um, yeah. Never stops. But I was like, okay, cool. So when I went to college, I decided to study information technology. And I was going to minor in art in order to get like the art side of stuff and understand that principle. And so that was my what my first degrees in is information technology. But during the first um, first year, I started being like, I don't think I'm good at this. But I didn't really feel like I had the option of changing. And so I just kept on doing it. Hmm. Uh, it's funny how we get stuck. Like 
Let, let's zoom into that for a second. You didn't feel like you had the option of changing. Mm-hmm. I, I can super relate to this. I'm someone who like, I'm like one month into something and I'm like, oh, well, it's too late. I can't abandon it now. It's done forever. Even though in hindsight, a lot of times when I've had those moments, I've been like, wait, I so could have changed my mind. Like it was so easy. Do you feel like you were wrong about that, that it was too late to change? It wasn't too late to change. Um, so in my first degree, my parents were paying for it. And so they were like, you started this, you need to finish yeah. it. And I think they thought that this was going to be the path that was going to help me succeed. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't want me, want me to quit and then end up not succeeding. Um, and so that's what the whole, like, let's keep trying this thing happened. And so I just kind of pushed through it, even though I wasn't feeling it, even though it didn't feel like the best decision, mm-hmm. because I come from a long line of people who just put up with stuff and just get through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The feeling that like, this maybe isn't exhilarating me, but I'm lucky to have the opportunity to do it. Exactly. Uh, so you say this was your first degree. Mm-hmm. Did did you try to work in this field after you finished it? So kind of. So I graduated right when the um, what is it called? Not the Great Depression. The, what is the it? recession? The recession. I was like, it's not the Great Depression. What <laughs> it's is it? Almost as right. Bad. Feels like it sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of tech jobs, their stipulations at that time were changing. Where at one point the entry level positions were all open. And now they were looking for people who had like three to five years experience, which was definitely not me. And so I tried and I wasn't really getting anywhere. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, which didn't help either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up doing like temp stuff and then finding a full time job through the temp. Where were you living at this point? I was still living in St. Louis. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so this wasn't going that well. You found you found a job through the temp agency. Mm hmm. Was it in IT or was it like a totally other thing? Totally other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was your next? Did you get a next degree? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, so that goes into like the, the first big choice decision thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I was working this at this corporate job. I had been full time for about a year. The one you found through the temp? Mm-hmm. What was it? Um, well, at first it was data entry and then it kind of shifted into communicating between banks and the irs cool. yeah so good times um so i was doing that and it was okay like it paid you know it paid me and I, I would be done at the time i was done and then because it's corporate somebody else bought somebody else out and then we changed management and that was very stressful for me because i am not a quota type person you know i'm very much a quality versus quantity mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it was like okay you got to do this many forms and this many you got to contact this many people and whenever I have that kind of stuff I'm just not good at it and so I was like panicking because I was for sure thinking I was gonna get fired I was like they're gonna fire me because I don't know what I'm doing um but at that time I started talking to somebody else at my job who ran the charity part of what the uh, corporation did and I told them what I cared about I was like I care about the arts I care about helping people um things like that And they're like, well, that's not really what this organization does. But they, you know, suggested that I look, you know, look around elsewhere. And through that job, I ended up volunteering um, at this place called Haven House, which is um, a shelter that houses young pregnant women. And so we were doing like this little class with them to help them with their building their skills. They can find jobs. And 
I think each person had to do like two different classes. And so I did one class and the girls were, you know, everybody was really into it and they really wanted to learn. And then I did the second one and it was the, what was different was that the second one was all black women and all the girls in the group were black. And all of a sudden the conversation changed because they were started talking about their fears and the discrimination they had to put up with. Um, it felt like they couldn't be who they want to be anymore because their life was quote unquote ruined by, because they were having a child. And so it kind of woke me up to be like, it's important that young people, young learners see somebody like them in, um, in the classroom because it, even when, if they don't realize it, it changes the conversation, right? The first group that we had was a mixed group. And so they were fine. But then suddenly they were in a group where it's like everybody there looks like them and they felt comfortable to be like, I'm scared. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, this was your first taste of being an educator. Exactly. And it was also sort of your first taste in doing that in a way that was sort of um, like sociopolitically charged. Right. Cool. And this basically happened because through your corporate job. Mm hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, say what you will about these corporations that like, you know, dedicate like a tiny percent of their time to like volunteering just to say they did it or whatever. But I, that brought you to a whole new career path in the end. It did. That's awesome. Yeah. So what did you do after that? Um, so I talked to my parents and I was like, I think I need to go back to school. I want to do education. And my parents, again, being who they are and trying to give me my best, was like, well, if you decide to go full time, we'll support you. Um, which was good because, uh, like, right after I made that decision, the organization uh, let go of my whole department. Oh, and so I was perfect. like, all right, well, I'll see you all when I see you. That's um, like a major sign. Right. So it was like, I'm glad that I made that stuff because I, I think I would have been devastated mm -hmm. if I had stayed and then I'd been let go. But because I was ready to go already... It just, you know, made it easy. And so originally my whole plan was just to get certified to teach our education. Um, but then I found out that I didn't, I needed like one or two more classes to get an actual degree. And I was like, okay, let me just do that. So I ended up getting a second bachelor's um, wow. in education. Yeah, That's amazing. So you got a second bachelor's, but just with a few. You didn't have to like go right. back to school for four more years. Yeah, because they were in the same, my first degree, my second degree, the schools are in the same school system. Yeah, yeah. So I could transfer the credits over. So you're still pretty young at this point. You're like in yeah. your really early 20s. Like mid-20s, yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, what was your first teaching job? Um, Like full-time teaching? What, what Besides the one that you just mentioned. Right. So I... So the next time I was in the classroom was for school. We had to we had to observe a class and then teach some classes there. And I was in a school district at the time that was having a lot of hardships. They had lost their certification. They had a bad reputation. And I had told my my advisor I was interested in teaching middle school, which for a lot of people is like the no no never go there. You know, it's but a hard one. It's a hard one. And I remember going into the classroom and the teacher was yelling at the kids and the kids were yelling back. So it was all this confrontation. Um, and the teacher kind of telling me one-on-one -on -one, like, Oh, you know how horrible the kids were and how she was ready to go. And so I was like, okay, so not, <laughs> not having the best first impression. But then when I started teaching the kids, it was a different vibe. Um, and yeah, like they were still themselves and had issues and whatnot, but 
because my whole thing was like, I'm going to be fair with you and I'm going to treat you with respect. Then they were not used to that. And they were like, oh, so you're going to actually listen to me. Okay, cool. Um, And it kind of changed the dynamic of the classroom while I was there. Right. Um, That's amazing. So that was a good time. You're basically still student teaching and you're like, oh, I sort of have this power that this other teacher doesn't. Right. And it wasn't really about power. It was about like I wanted to be in their community. Yeah. And I think it's easy sometimes when you teach to not feel like you're part of a community and then feel an opposition of your, your students. Mm. And I never want to feel like I'm in opposition of my students. I want to feel like we're in a community. And if I am in opposition, I need to need to reflect on why that is. And if it's time for me to go, because sometimes that's what the choice needs to be. This is so cool. I'm so glad you're here talking about this. <laughs> oh my God. So that's your first sort of taste of teaching mm-hmm. as a student, a uh, student teacher. And what was your, did you begin then teaching in St. Louis, like a no. full-time job? So that's my, that was like my first semester. So I started my second degree when I was 25. Okay. So it was my first semester. Um, and then I was, so what, let me explain. Cause it's kind of a lot of place. So I was going to school full-time. Um, I was working, um, doing substitute teaching and doing after school programs. Uh, um, substitution was for high schools, um, after school programs for preschool and, uh, elementary school. And then I had helped a friend of mine start a nonprofit. So I was like doing all of that at the same time. That's busy. What it, was that like? Uh, it was a little all over the place, but I was happy to do it because I like being busy sometimes. And I think it made me, start thinking more about the kind of positions that I want to be in, in terms of the environment, the culture of the place that I wanted to work in, which I think sometimes is like a secondary thought when you're applying for jobs. It's like, I just need a job. Yeah. And then later being like, I really wish the culture of this place was different. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, and so me having that experience helped me do that. But it was through my substitute job that I eventually transitioned to New York. Cause I started working as a counselor for a program from uh, a boarding program program for international high school students and I was doing that and they asked me if I wanted to come to New York and help manage the the team in New York and so I ended up coming to New York to do that okay that sounds like a big decision (laughs) we should talk about it we should what what went through your mind were you like had you wanted to move had you been wanting to leave or I mean I wanted to eventually move but I I never thought about New York it just wasn't on my radar had you ever been before incidentally the year before i got this offer i um went with um i had got a fellowship through my university to go on this trip with other students um in the art department because i was like technically art education um and so we went that went the year before and i was like "Eh, that's cool like i wasn't thrilled you probably like stayed somewhere midtown (laughs) we stayed in chinatown Mm. And we were running around looking at museums all day. And yeah. I was like, all right, cool. And like, I wasn't super into the city um, itself. And so, but I knew they're looking for somebody and I was kind of ambitious enough to want it, but I didn't think they were going to give it to me. Interesting. Yeah. Self-doubt. Sometimes it comes <laughs> and surprises you. Right. Um, did, did you have any reservations about coming here in particular, knowing that you didn't like it? Or were you just like, okay, I got this job. I want to be ambitious and take it. It was, so I wasn't really worried about the movement. I was worried about being in that position in the organization because I had seen people in that position fail. Mm. And so I thought like, well, I'm definitely going to fail too if 
all the people I've seen in that position have failed. Right. Yeah. Wow. But you didn't. But I did it. How? Um, so well, I should probably say what, like how that whole thing happened. So I was at a conference in San Diego um, and they called me on the phone and said, hey, we're offering you this position. And I immediately called my mom and started crying. Um, and so picture like a younger version of me walking around this conference. Cause when I'm crying, I have to like walk and move. Um, so walking around this conference floor on the phone crying, uh-huh. um, and people are probably like, what is happening? <laughs> That's uh, how you knew you were a New Yorker. Walking and crying right. is like the most right. New York thing there is. Like when you cry on the train or on the platform, yep. you're, you are officially a New Yorker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, like, and I even told my mom, like, they're going to set me up to fail. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, why do you think that? And I, you know, I told her, like, well, everybody else has failed in that position. And she was like, well, that doesn't have to be you. Um, And I knew I was going to take it. But still having, like, that doubt was part of it. Interesting. Let's let's think about that self-doubt. Uh, as it, I, I'm curious to learn how you got over that feeling we don't have to talk about it right now but Mm -hmm. let's maybe keep it as a thread that we keep addressing yes i like to make this podcast as useful as possible for people who are listening to it so when i hear someone talk about a problem they've had i want to then like loop back to the solution Mm -hmm. so you take the job you move to new york Mm -hmm. and and i wasn't doing my second degree at this point just to be clear you were you hadn't started it yet i started it but i had not finished it oh interesting so did this mean putting school on hold a little bit yeah okay so what happened so i moved to new york and i pretty much ended up setting up all the operations in was in long island setting up all the operations um to like what rooms the kids were staying in to the furniture to hiring people to making like where do we eat breakfast and all that stuff and it was really hard the first year. Um, like I was working 18 hour days, um, almost working seven days a week. And, but at some point I was like, okay, everything should work out fine. And then it did not work out fine, but I should have known that based on how the organization was. Like, you know, they, their whole thing was like, we're going to use you and then we're going, then you're going to leave mm-hmm. you know, in some capacity. Um, and so I was doing that. And then I was trying to finish my second degree as well. So I was taking online classes. And then my second big decision was that I decided to um, intern at the Brooklyn Children's Museum because um, I had to finish an internship for my degree in order to get it. Interesting. Was yeah. that teaching at the museum or was it? It was working in their team programming department. So it was some teaching and then some helping with the programming. Yeah. Cool. And this is perfectly fitting in with what you'd been doing because you were in the art education Mm -hmm. program right don't you love when opportunities (laughs) come up that are like exactly what you wanted to be doing yeah um tell me about your love of art so you're an art minor Mm -hmm. and you ended up taking this job this internship it was a big decision where did art come in in your life and do you make art um i do make art um so I, i mostly paint so as well um, art has just always been something that I've been, I've gravitated to. So like as a kid, I did not color because I was like, I draw pictures. Why would I have to color? I didn't see the point <laughs> of coloring. Um, and so I've always like been into art and into storytelling as well. And so I feel like the two for me are like very much entwined with each other. Yeah. That's awesome. 
um, and sewing. That's really cool. Mm. Actually, I think Ashley's told me about that. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so tell me how that decision to intern at the Children's Museum played out in your life. Sure. So I got the internship because I was Facebook friends with a professor that teaches at Fordham. We like joined, we like got acquainted through um, this Facebook group that was like teachers and whatnot. Facebook out here changing life. It, it is true. That's how I met Ashley. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I met her. Um, so I was like, hey, like I know you're in New York. I'm in New York as well. So I'm trying to find an internship. Do you know of any place that is accepting people? And he said, well, why don't you try the Brooklyn Children Museum? There's a woman there named Aisha Terman. Um, she might be able to help you out. And so I went there for an interview. Um, and it, and she was, you know, it went great. And she was like, and I told her, I was like, well, here's my availability. I can do maybe like once a week. Because, um, again, I was still working full time. And so it was the first time in my, the job that brought me to New York where I was carving time out that was for me. Hmm. Like this time is for me and not for you can't like be messaging me about what's going on with the kids. You have to figure it out. Right. That's um, great. Yeah. And but what made it what it made me help, help me set up boundaries. But also what made it great was that I met Aisha, who I consider a friend of mine now. And I actually work with her now at the school that we work at the school that I teach at. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so um, it was a good decision because it was kind of like the beginning of me building a community in New York. Because of that, I started to meet other people and meet other people and meet other people, um, which I did not have when I came to New York. I didn't know anybody, really. Right. So all of a sudden, like, I was starting to branch out and have all these people who not only I knew through other people, but also, like, who vouched for me, who were like, yep, that person is a good person. That person can do this. And who cared about the same things as you, about education. Exactly. That's great. So that this was sort of a good career stepping stone and a networking mm-hmm. community oriented stepping stone. Tell me, so you've used the word community a few times right. now. You want to make your classroom a community, mm-hmm. needed to build communities around you in New York. Of course, we all do. <laughs> it's a rough city out there if you don't have your people. Sure. What, what does that mean to you? What, how did, how did that idea get instilled in your mind and what what makes you want to extend it to your classroom? Um, I think what it, I think for me it was a little bit natural. Like I just naturally started to do it. And then when I started to read more books about education, particularly books by Bill Hooks, um, I started to understand for me what it meant to be an educator. Um, and also the kind of environment I wanted to be in. Um because I like I want to like what I do and feel comfortable in what I do. And so I wanted to build a place where like my students also feel comfortable. And then as I started to put that into different fields I was working in, different places I was working in, like how do I build a community, which was very trial and error. Um, you know, I wanted to have a place that was transparent and a place where people can tell me how they feel, even if I didn't like what I heard. Um because, you know, we've all worked in places where, like, you can't say how you really feel because people get angry at you. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in a manager trying to figure out, like, well, how can I provide a space where my 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 employees can tell me they don't like this or like that or like me or whatever. Um, and so trying to figure out what that looked like for me. I love that we got to a point where we can have a bell hook sidebar because <laughs> I just... I just finished All About Love. Mm-hmm. I honestly think if I were being interviewed about the junction points in my life, like reading All About Love yeah. would be one. Like yeah. 
what a dramatic blueprint for like how your relationships should be oh my god yeah she's written like three books about education and that and yeah. i read one of them which i think it was teaching to transgress and it was the first time i heard somebody being like you're gonna challenge your students sometimes and they're not gonna like you and what does it mean to build a community in the classroom and not just be behind a uh, you know a podium talking the whole time what does mm-hmm. that look like uh, and so I started to wonder, like, well, what kind of person do I want to be? Not just an, a teacher, but what kind of person do I want to be where I can build that sort of sort of life? Yeah. Um, I'll take a quick, uh, quick diversion for a second. Sure. Between founding a nonprofit in your mid-20s with a friend, that's like incredible work, mm-hmm. and sort of carving the time out when you were even younger than that to volunteer at your corporate job. And then uh, from an early, from being an early teacher, making sure that community was a big part of what you did, it sounds like service to your community is a big part of your moral fabric. It is. And especially um, service to young people and service to people who have been here already. Where do you think that came from? I don't know, to be honest. I think some of it came from, I think sometimes, okay, I'm trying to figure out my thoughts. I think sometimes um, I have tried to build things that I did not have necessarily. Hmm. Um, And so I think I, I did have wonderful teachers who I felt like were really trying to do that work, but I had a lot of teachers who were not trying to do that work either. And so I wanted to be that person that I did not have. Um, And I think also because when I was younger, I didn't understand the history of St. Louis a lot. Hmm. But as I got older and started to understand what, you know, you see in a lot of cities, New York, you know, L.A., um, wherever um, people, particularly black people, indigenous people, brown people being pushed out of communities they've lived in for a long time. And so me starting to wonder about like being in spaces where like, oh, look at this great space. It's wonderful. It's doing great. It's like, yeah, but like what happened to all the people that used to live here? Who had to be displaced. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, because that was part of the work with the nonprofit was that we were in this community at the time where a lot of people had been pushed out. And so there were no real like no real concrete um, residents. And so part of my job was connecting to the community and there wasn't really a lot of a community there. Hmm. And so me wondering, like, well, what happened and what's going on? And, like, how do you connect to a place where, like, nobody really lives there anymore? And it's right. all kind of commercialized in a sense. Interesting. So that was the the one you founded with your friend in your mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of an awakening there. Yeah. And then you moved to Brooklyn, the world's capital of displacing <laughs> original communities. Um Okay, so let's get back to the chronological timeline. Sure. You made you made your way through this internship at the Children's Museum. Mm-hmm. Did did you like it? Was it fun? It was great. Um, Aisha is one of those people that she keeps it real, and so it was good being a place where I can do that. And then also, um, the the youth at the museum were um, black um, young people, um, some Caribbean as you know as well. And so having this space where I could be around black people in a different way, because I wasn't getting that as much in Long Island. Mm. Um, and that's what I yeah, grew you're from. working with international students, or international right? students. Yeah. 
That must have been interesting. It definitely was, to say the least. I was pretty much raising other people's kids, which was Uh, interesting. Yeah. Did you did you have younger siblings? No, I have a sister who's like 15, 16 years older than me. But I, besides that, that's about so it. So you didn't have any experience raising kids? No. You're kind of just like, all right. Pretty much. Do this for you out of the kindness of my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened after the internship was done? Um, so I was finishing up the internship. And as I was finishing up the internship, my job was going through financial issues. Now, I kind of knew that when I kind of started doing the managing part, because I even told them like, hey, this is not a sustainable model. Hmm. Looks and, like you're running out of money. Right. And at the time, because I was not, I didn't have a master's degree in business administration, they were like, oh, it's fine. Like, it's, And I was like, mm, okay. So at some point, they bills weren't being paid on time. And on top of that, people in my position weren't being paid on time. Yikes. Right. So I started being like, mm, something is wrong. And so I talked to my parents and I was like, I think I need to leave. I was like, I think it's time. I kind of been telling them that I was ready to go anyway. But mm-hmm. I was like, it's 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 like the, the organization is losing money and I want to jump ship before I uh, before don't get a paycheck. I, right. Don't get a paycheck. And so I was going to wait until the end of January to quit. And then the incident happened when one of my um, former employees, um, we found out stole from the kids. Ooh. Right. And so and their solution was to ask me to resign. And it was like in mid-January. And I was like, OK, because I was going to leave anyway. I was like, cool. Sounds like this is a trend. You it are is. really good at predicting when you should leave a job. Yeah. You know, and I was like, why do I keep getting in this? Um, But I was like, it's, I was like, cool. OK, awesome. Um, And then like a couple of weeks later, they like filed for bankruptcy. Thankfully, the school that um they were working with took over the program. But I was happy to be out because I needed to leave. Yeah. Um, and so that was right when the internship ended. Right. And I was going to plan on coming home. But um, that third big decision was that I had tickets to Hamilton. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. 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 So this, wait, when, what year is this? When this is was, this? So 2000, 2016, early 2016. Okay, so yeah. you were about to move back to, uh-huh. like, back, and you were, I guess you are going to finish your degree. Right, so I did the internship. I just had to file the paperwork um, to graduate. And so that, and I, part of my compensation package for move, for the job was that they had a, I had to live on site. Mm-hmm. And so I had 30 days to move. Okay. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to pack up and leave. You um, weren't that into New York yet. Yeah, I wasn't into the, to the city really yet. Uh, but had you won a Hamilton lottery? Did you buy tickets? I had bought tickets. Okay. So back in August, um, right when like they were, it was starting to amp up. I was like, I got to get tickets to this. I can't. And so I bought tickets. Amazing. And did you get them for pretty soon after you bought them or was it like far in the future? It was in January. So okay. I bought them in August of 2015 oh for January, for an, late January, early so February. So you didn't move back to St. Louis so that you could stay and go to Hamilton? Kind of. So... I love that. It was around the time I was talking to my parents. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm packing up. And they were like, well, do you kind of want to stay? And I was like, I don't know. Like, mm. <laughs> and so there's like, well, think about it. And so I had tickets to go see Hamilton, um, a ticket to see Hamilton, because I had been trying to like find somebody to go with me. And I didn't know who would go. And I was like, I'm not waiting because I and I got it before tickets like, you know, you know, went up to like include your firstborn child. Uh-huh. And so. I was like, I need to go see this. And at first I was thinking about selling it because 
again, tickets that went up and I thought, well, I can get some money out of it. Mm-hmm. But I decided to to keep it. Um, and I went to go see the show and it was the original cast. You went to go see it like six months later, though. What did right? it write? Um, from August? Yeah. I you were going to sell them. I was going to sell it. And so let me back up. Yeah. So the time where the job was ending was like mid January. Got it. Okay. So, so it perfectly aligned. Right. Okay. And so I was like, well, you know, this will be my last hurrah you know, maybe uh, being in New York and I saw Hamilton and it was, you know, electric for me. And I started to think and reflect about my life and to wonder about what I wanted to be. And was moving back the best decision for me. I was not making it because it was the easiest decision to make. Hmm. Um, and so seeing the show, I remember talking about, you know, calling my mind afterwards and being like rambling about how wonderful the show was. Um, and again, it should have known I was a New Yorker then because I was like in Starbucks tearing up like it was great. Um, but then kind of realizing that maybe I should try to stay in New York and figure out what I wanted to do because moving back wasn't the solution for me. Wow. I have chills right now. So much to talk about. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I love junctions like this. That is like, I saw this thing and it changed my life and now I'm doing that thing. Uh, second of all, I've seen Hamilton. My mom took me to take it. Shout out moms everywhere. Yes. Uh, and I like, I'm not a big crier, but I was bawling in the theater. I was like trying to hide it from my friends and my mom. I was like, "Eh." um, what about Hamilton? I mean, I know this because Mm -hmm. I've seen it and it's an amazing piece of art that makes you just think about your legacy and your life Mm -hmm. and what will live what will still be alive from what you do on this planet like 200 years later? Maybe I just gave a spoiler alert. <laughs> but what about it for you made you made you do that, made you rethink everything? Mostly because I knew that I being in New York was gave me a unique opportunity to see a show like that and to be like, I got to see the original cast in the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which was like mind-blowing for me. Did you like, do you like musicals a lot? I mean, I like musicals, but I'm not like one of those people that's like, I love a musical. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. One of, I mean, I, I enjoy them. This was a special one. This one was special. And so, you know, seeing it, I started to be like, what other opportunities are in New York that I would not have back home? Right. Um, what other things and what other possibilities can I explore? Even though I didn't have a plan, you know, I was like, why, why not see what the, what the exploration is? Of being here. Right. Yeah. So this was maybe only two, two, three years ago. Yeah. So you're still kind of finding out what the opportunities are. Yes, very much so. Got it. So once you made this decision to stay, mm-hmm. what what was the plan? Um, and so I had an apartment full of stuff. I put most of that stuff in the storage, end up subletting a room. And then I reached out to the few people that I knew in New York, one being somebody I knew from the internship, Aisha Terman, mm-hmm. and somebody I met through her named Mon- Monica Montgomery and was like, hey, so I'm trying to stay in New York. I need to find something. Yeah. And both of them said, but why don't you try to apply to this fellowship um, through Betty Betty's Daughters Arts Collaborative, right? And I was like, all right. And at first I was like, I'm not going to do this. Um, and then the last day... <laughs> as application I was like why not and so I ended up like turning in this application for this uh, fellowship and then also I'm like doing odd jobs on the side to Mm -hmm. get money in my pocket 
um, and looking for full-time jobs. And so like doing the fellowship kind of kept me afloat, not financially necessarily, but like emotionally, spiritually, because I think I would have been just like float, like kind of like floating along with no idea of what was happening. And that doing that, I was like, okay, like I'm meeting people and I'm talking to people. I'm again, being reaffirmed to like what it is that I want to do in my life. So you got it though. This, this a fellowship that you applied for on the last day, yeah. barely as a throwaway. Yes. You ended up get, getting it. Yeah. Which is probably, sounds like an honor. You have <laughs> to is. apply. It is. Uh, that's amazing. Always apply to things, even on the last day. Yes. Um, what was it like? What did you get to do through that? And what was the duration? Like, sure. the scope? It was about, mm, about three, four months. Damn, what a signal from the universe that you were like, mm, maybe I won't stay here. Yeah. And then you did, and then you got this amazing thing. Right. Uh, and what, it was an art education fellowship. Kind of, sort of. So Betty's Daughters Arts Collaborative, I don't want to misrepresent what they do, so I'm going to try to speak to it carefully. Um, does a lot of um, community strategy work with organizations. Um, also does some uh, work within classrooms as well. Uh, and also a multitude of things. Ebony Golden, who, no, Ebony Noel Golden, who is the founder of it, is like a one woman powerhouse, um, is consulting and she's, uh, she's a choreographer. So she's, choreo- you know, choreographing things and she's a director. So she's doing like a million things. I'm okay. always like, how are you surviving? Um, and so she had me do more of the community and education side. And so I was doing observations of a dance program. Um, that was into a couple of different places. And then also I was helping her, um, gather materials from, uh, a, a performance collective that she was a part of called, uh, Body Ecology. And so she had all this information from years and years of stuff. And I was kind of helping her, uh, gather it and disseminate it into like one final, quote unquote, final product that if she wanted to share it out, she could. Gotcha. Um, and that was a really awesome experience because, um, again, getting connected to more people than I originally was. Um, also being, as I said, reaffirmed in the things that I value. And then um, being able to, because I kind of became a part of the, she was doing a, um, a, te- a, a performance intensive. There was more of like life performance. And so I, I was a part of it in order for me to learn about the body ecology philosophy. And so that was kind of interesting because it opened up a lot of things for me that I wasn't expecting to open up about who I am. And so that was a really good experience as well. Wow. So this goes a lot deeper than education. This was like a life, uh, like a life and art exploration fellowship. And that's how it is working with Ebony. You know, she was like, she'll like take over your life. And then suddenly you're like wide open with like all the things you're like, oh, I didn't even know I was, you know, examining this in the process. Wow. I need that. Everyone needs that. Yes, they do. That's awesome. So at what point were you like, all right, I'm getting a teaching job in New York. How did that happen? So, well, first I was working at a nonprofit. So I started working for our education nonprofit mm-hmm. and I was doing that for the year. Um, it was, I started that in like June ish of 2016. And, but I started to realize that I really missed being with young people because I was going to these observations and looking at teaching artists with students and kind of wanting to be in that position mm-hmm. um, again. 
And so I was trying to figure out if I wanted to teach again and what that looked like, because part of me kind of resisted being in a classroom, not teaching, but like working in a school sometimes can be challenging. Yeah. And so I started being like, ooh, do I really want to be in the school like all the time? A lot of drama. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, you know, the the bureaucracy and administrations and, right. you know, all the things. So I was like, I don't know. And uh, Aisha, again, the woman that I met through the Brooklyn Children's Museum was like, oh, well, I work at the school now. She's been working there since 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, She's like, they have a position open. Maybe she'll apply. And I was like, I don't know. Like, maybe this isn't for me. But I decided to apply. And the same day that I had my in-person interview, a few hours later, the principal emailed me and was like, we would like to hire you. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> cool. Decision time. Decision time. And, and I decided to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to to be in the classroom again. Got it. And this is the job you have now, the English That's teaching the job I have now. What? Why English? Was that what they offered? That's or? what they offered. Fair. <laughs> yeah, and um, I work with Aisha. She's my department head, mm-hmm. and I also work with uh, my wonderful colleague Rachel. And we do a lot of exploration through like more of a social justice lens with the text, which is my which is my thing. How old are your kids? Um, so I work for 10th and 9th graders. Got it. So like Perfect age to, to make them social justice warriors. Exactly. Amazing. And so um, that's and that's my thing. And that's how I examine the world and have conversations with the different things that I do. Um, and so even though like English wasn't necessarily like my, my first thing, I understood how to um, break apart different things through that lens. And so that helped me as an educator. Right. Awesome. I'm thinking back to when you said that treating students with respect was like a key initial thing that you learned would help make you a successful teacher. Mm-hmm. Do you, this is just a me curiosity <laughs> thing. I don't even know if this will be an interesting question for okay. listeners, but the presence you are in this room right now mm-hmm. and the um, the way you talk is really commanding, but it's very, um, you're not catering to me. Like you're you're kind of just being your exact self. Mm-hmm. Would you talk to your students the exact same way you're talking right now? Do you just treat them like grownups and like you're talking normally? Kind of. Um, So I fuss at them a lot. Um, One of them last week was like, Ms. Daniel sounds like somebody's mama. Um, I'm like, yes, this is true. Um, (laughs) And so I kind of take on, you know, I talk to them like they're, I, I talk to everybody the same. Yeah. So I talked to little I kind kids. Of got that. I talked to little kids the same way I talk now. Yeah. Right. I don't do like the baby voice thing. Right. Like, nope, don't do that. Um, so I talk the same, but I also fuss at them a lot. But they know the fussing is me caring about them, not uh-huh. me um trying to control them necessarily. Like it's a little bit of that, but it's mostly like I just want you to be the best version of you. And so I'm gonna fuss at you in a way that feels familiar because, you know, ninety nine point nine of them are of color. Um, black and Latina. And so, you know, they, they're used to kind of like that way of talking and speaking. And so, um, but yeah, I talk to them as if. So you're being strategic, but you're still being yourself. Yes, very much so. Perfect. Love that. Um, another, another question I have, I have never broached this topic on this show. Okay. Like, I am almost hesitant to right now. It just now feels curious. like a no no, but like, I'm, I, I mentioned I want to make this whole project as helpful to people as possible as they're making decisions in their life. Okay. So you made a career change from 
IT, mm-hmm. ostensibly, that was like what you were going to do mm-hmm. into education and nonprofit, particularly around the arts. Yes. One thing that comes to mind when you're considering that career change is like, you're probably making a change in how much money you plan to make uh-huh. in your life. Yep. <laughs> and you had these parents who were really excited about your success and mm-hmm. were, you know, helping you out to achieve whatever like lucrative path you could. Mm-hmm. What was that decision like around money? Were they hesitant? Were you hesitant? Or were you just like, this is the person I want to be and who cares about the money? Um, no, but neither, none of us were hesitant. I think they saw being teaching as being stable. So even if I wasn't making a whole bunch of money, they was like, people need teachers. And so they figured that I would be stable in some sort of way. Right. Um, and for me, I did think about money, particularly because when I was a managing director at one point, I was making a lot of money. I was not at the school, not the school when I was doing back in the corporate job. No, when I was doing the um, boarding program. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I was making a lot of money. Yeah. Not saving it, which is not a good idea. Um, well, you were living in New York. So. Or I was living in New York and I was just like, not even thinking. Um, saving money is like a foreign like, concept. <laughs> go shopping. Like, why do I have to save money? Yeah. Like, no, I should have. Um, but anyway, so I wasn't really thinking about like how much money I was making. Because me, it's like, as long as I have money to pay my bills and do little fun things on the side, then I'm good. Yeah. Um. You know, I wasn't thinking about like, I need, I want to buy a car and buy a house or do anything like that. It was more of just like, do I have money to, to live? Then I'm all right. Right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That, yeah, that is, we should pay our teachers enough for all that and more, but right. it seems like you picked a path that was about able to see your needs. I did. And then I work a second job as well mm-hmm. and it's a place I enjoy. And so it helps it helps me. Yeah. Is that yeah. something you do more for fun or more for money? Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need the money because I got bills to pay. But I enjoy the people I work with a lot. Um, I work at this organization called Purpose Productions. Mm-hmm. And they have a value system that I'm greatly aligned with. And so, and they also just like, they want to make sure that I'm happy. So even when like I was going through some stuff, they would be like, okay, we got to figure out what's going to happen. Like outside of work, they're not one of those people like we have to hold on to you forever they know that i may leave at some point and they're fine with that they want me to thrive yeah Yeah. how did you become connected with them through ebony oh you (laughs) you really work in the 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 solid network yeah i the woman that runs it um nia austin edwards um was one of our speakers for like the first day of the fellowship and she was like i have this organization and I was like, well, let me know if you need some help. You know, I was like, I'm looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And at one point she was like, well, we're hiring people. Do you want to join? I said, sure. And so I all of a sudden was doing social media strategy and consulting um, as well as doing my full time job as well. Right. Yeah. I like how you describe that they uh, they're not like jealous over your time and they mm-hmm. know you have your other stuff going. What like when do you do that? Um, I usually do it in the morning, so I get up early and I try to wow. do things. Um, sometimes I do it at night, but I prefer not to. And then sometimes on the weekend as well. What time does school start? So school starts at 8. Usually I'm there about 7.30, 7.45. Depending so you're on working up really early. Yeah, I wake up early. Um, mutual friend Ashley always talks about uh, jobs as like, dating comparisons and like (laughs) freelancing is like 
being single, mm-hmm. like you don't have any one person who's allowed to like steal your time mm-hmm. and having a full time job is like being in a relationship where yeah. you have one person who's like who overrides, who's like, no, you're not doing that today. You're doing this mm-hmm. and how much she loves the former. And I sort of love the latter. I'm like, well, at least like I, I'd have this one stable thing. And right. you have both. Mm hmm got a main chick and a side piece um and then the last theme i sort of wanted to loop back on was the mention of self-doubt it seems like a couple different times in your story you've decided to do things even though you sort of thought it wasn't going to work out right let's let's dig into that for a second not to get too therapisty but (laughs) what what made you think that things wouldn't go well and how did you start to say no to the voice that told you that i don't think i ever say no to the voice i just start to say okay but like why not do it anyway right um i think self i think doubt is a natural process mm-hmm. and i think sometimes we're like we have to banish doubt and banish fear but like those are defense mechanisms that we built within ourselves um sometimes it's over it's too much you know it's like the imposter syndrome mm-hmm uh, but I do try to listen to it to like to process of like, is this actual something that's like could actually happen or am I making it up because like it's, it's unknown to me. And so I try to listen and then I decide and I usually end up going for it anyway. Um, but I try to listen before I just like jump into it to be like, OK, now that I know like these good things that I can all go wrong. Cool. I know that then I can go into it. Yeah. Damn. That's so wise. I love the thing of like did I just invent this bad outcome because I didn't know what would happen? That's so powerful. Like when you're not sure how something will go and we're always telling stories to ourselves in our heads about how they will. Right. We're rarely like, yeah, and then I'm going to succeed mm-hmm. and then I'm going to win and everyone's going to love me. Like that's <laughs> not where our minds go. No. Fascinating. Yeah. And some of that I learned through therapy. As yeah. Well, so. Shout out therapy. Yeah. Wow. Glad we went there. Um, <laughs> As as I'm sitting here, we're approaching the end of our hour and mm-hmm. I'm thinking like it sounds like the the low key winner and most powerful part of your story was the amazing women you met along the way. Yes. Like the people you meet and who connect you with opportunities in this city are like can be everything. Yeah. Women are how I've survived in New York. I would not have made it without women to uplift me, particularly black women, but women in general to uplift me. Yeah. And like super professional and it sounds like multi hyphenate women who are doing all kinds of things. Yeah. I, I know a lot of badasses. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Any other parting thoughts? Where where are we now? Oh man. So still teaching. Um are you set on staying in New York? For now. Yeah, I don't think it would be a forever thing. I don't see myself like 20 years staying in New York, but I'm glad I'm here now because I think it's expanded my worldview in a lot of different ways, um, both within myself and with things outside of myself and parts outside of myself. So it's, I'm glad that I'm here, but I know eventually like there's going to be a point where like I have a chance, an opportunity to leave because just like I had the opportunity to get here, mm-hmm. there's going to be opportunity for me to probably go somewhere else. Wow. That's another really powerful thing you just said. Like, (laughs) I feel like we tend to think that once our opportunity, like, even if good things have happened to us in the past, we rarely are like, hey, those good things could happen again, even. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. 
Well, I, I feel like, I feel like you've inspired me a little bit to actually look at my life rationally and assume that good things might happen. Yeah. And if bad things do happen, like that's just a part of life. Yeah. You know, I think we assume that bad things mean like the end. And the one thing one of my therapists told me was like, okay, then ask yourself what's next after the bad thing. Like what's the worst next? thing that could happen, you're like, oh, cool, what's next? Because there's always a next to what can happen. I think that a new question on the show should be, what's the best thing your therapist has ever told you? <laughs> and tell me it for free. <laughs> that's just like the, that like, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Ashley in Hawaii, for connecting us. Ooh. Yet another woman in New York mm-hmm. who is making things happen between other people. Very much so. We're going to go out on a musical note. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. Oh, I have some things to say before we go. Uh, thank you for listening. Bushwick Junction is hosted on Radio Free Brooklyn, which is a nonprofit community radio station supported by listeners. If you'd like to support the station uh, or make a donation to the show, please visit the website, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. My theme song is by Nation of Language. They're uh, on Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever you get your music. Please go check them out. If you're interested in the show, if you have any questions for me or if you think you'd be a good guest because of your twisty, turvy life path, please email me at Asha at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org uh, or go to Facebook. Bushwick Junction, um, you'll find me there. One other thing, my podcast is now available in the iTunes store. So go check that out. Um, uh, rate and review me because I don't have enough ratings yet to be even registered as a real person. So help me out, please, listeners, by doing that. Uh, and I will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.